Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Hello, listeners. Before we get started with this week's show, I wanted to just make a quick correction from last week's show with Dr. Christine Cocciola called Anatomy of a Course of Controller. Dr. Christine made a statement that 70% of children of coercive controllers become coercive controllers, repeating the cycle of abuse. And in fact, she meant to say 70% do not repeat the cycle of abuse. So she wanted to be sure that you understood she misspoke and I wanted to get that information to you. So go back if you haven't listened to that episode and be sure to listen to today's episode. This is another fantastic and informative episode on the role of abuse in our lives. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Financial abuse. It isn't very overt in a lot of ways. And it also usually is not the only type of abuse that's going on. There's something else in the relationship that is happening. And this is just another way that one spouse is controlling the other. And it can take many different forms. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today, everybody, we are talking about money. Um, You always hear knowledge is power. Well, money is control. And there's no place where you see this, I think, more effectively being used or more prominently being used, I guess I should say, than in divorce. You you see subtle cases and then you see some crazy cases of what people will do 
that makes no sense at all, but in using finances to control their partner. And the sad part of this, I mean, we're in October. This is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, as you know. Um, you know, we are trying to put out resources for people. We're going to be talking about things that my guest has seen people doing in her 30 plus years as a divorce financial professional during the process. But if you're seeing it during the process, folks, guaranteed you saw it during the relationship as well. So I want you all as we go through this today to be thinking about the message, the underlying message and the controlling behaviors you're going to hear about, crazy as they may sound, and see if they are happening in your relationship because they are the signs of financial abuse when money and finances are being used to control. So let me introduce, I have a wonderful guest here. You know I like to bring you the top professionals in the areas in which we are speaking. I have a, as I mentioned, a divorce financial professional, Donna LaScala, who is with us today. Donna has been in the divorce financial and in the financial services world for over 30 years. She works out of New York, but I want to point out she works with people all over the country, and she is... CDFA, you know I love my CDFAs. I can't do a divorce without them personally. Uh, but she's also um, also a RFC registered financial consultant, an IARFC, which is an ethics approved status, um, and CLTC certified in long term care. She is a all purpose financial consultant who helps people through divorce and beyond divorce. And she gives people advice on managing their finances, both again during that process, but very importantly, how to manage their lives beyond that divorce. So Donna, first off, thank you so much for joining me for this really important topic. Um, some of the things we'll talk about may sound a little funny in retrospect because we're looking at them from a high level, but controlling behaviors and financial abuse aren't really that funny. And it's really important to talk about it. So I thank you so much. You are very welcome. And it's my pleasure to be here today. And you're right. It is a very serious subject. But sometimes when you do look at it from another lens and from a top-down view, you realize how ridiculous some of these behaviors are and how destructive these behaviors are for both parties. Right. And, and that's actually something you and I talked about as we were getting ready for this, because in, you know, as we talk about these inside stories, the things that you have seen, they do bring about sort of a little giggle or a little like, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody would do that. But that's just how, you know, passive aggressive and subtle and insidious abuse can be. Everybody sees abuse as this very outward thing that's very visible. And instead, it's often a slippery slope of behaviors. Um, last week, I was talking about coercive control with Dr. Cochiola. This week, we're going to be talking about ways people use money and finances to control. But it doesn't happen all in one fell swoop, right? It happens in these, you know, slippery slope of, of, erosions of taking money away or controlling money or removing it from someone's, you know, someone having access to it. Absolutely. And like you and I discussed, there's that analogy in psychology of the frog in the pot of boiling water. And it sounds macabre, but the point of it all is that you put a frog in a pot of water 
and you slowly begin to turn up the heat and you do it gradually. And by the time the water is boiling and the frog is dying, it doesn't even realize that it's in a pot of boiling water. And that's what you and I talked about as far as financial abuse, because it isn't very overt in a lot of ways. And it also usually is not the only type of abuse that's going on. There's something else in the relationship that is happening. And this is just another way that one spouse is controlling the other. And it can take many different forms. One of the ways is withholding. Yes. I'm going to withhold access to the money. I'm going to withhold information about the money. So withholding, and that is very passive aggressive and subtle. And you may not even realize when it's happening because one spouse may say to the other, oh, honey, don't worry about this. I've got it. And it might sound sweet and lovely and nice, but when it becomes a way of one person controlling the other, well, yeah, we have a bank account, but you do not dare touch that money. That's control and that's abuse. So it depends what's going on. And as you said, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual process that the heat just gets turned up and gets turned up until you realize I'm in hot water here. Right. And, and, and that frog analogy, when you, when you first told it to me, um, I thought it was such a perfect analogy because if you put the pot on and got the water boiling and threw the frog in, the frog would know it, it was in boiling water, right? Just like if your spouse did something super sneaky or underhanded with your finances for the very first time, like they they sold the house out from under you without telling you and the movers showed up one day and you didn't know. That'd be really hard. You'd be in boiling water. You know, you, you'd know about, you'd find out about it over at once. But it's not usually something that happens that way. And how often have you, as a financial professional, for so many years, met with someone, and I'm just going to say it, probably women, who have said to you, oh, my husband or my spouse has taken care of our finances. Numbers aren't really my thing, or he's really good at that, or it's just not something I've needed to worry about. He, he's taken care of all of that for years. You know, it's, it's very true. And unfortunately, it is a lot of times it is women. And I'm from a very large family. My mother was one of 10. There were nine girls, one boy. I have three older sisters. I have a lot of cousins. Most of them are females. I see this day after day, not only in my own family, but in my practice as a financial advisor. And usually the first time I notice it is when I'm sitting down with a couple. And even though I'm talking to both of them, one of them is more engaged than the other. And if it's a normal, healthy, functioning relationship, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I have these responsibilities. You have those responsibilities. You're good at this. I'm good at that. If it's something that's agreed to, it's great. But one of the biggest problems that I was seeing for years, even before I started dealing with people getting divorced, is widows. And they get to that point where it's now critical mass and they know nothing about their finances. And that's a problem. So I became very passionate about 
teaching, especially my female clients about finances. And I would say to them, when they would say to me, well, you handle it for me. No, no, no. You need to understand. You need to know. And while it's very, you know, ego stroking for someone to say to me, well, I trust you so much. I'll just listen to anything you say. No, you need to understand. And money is a very emotional thing for a lot of people. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of guilt about money. And you need to really figure out what it is that's stopping you from wanting to know about your finances and facing it. It it happens every day. It happens all the time. And as you said, sometimes it's much more insidious than others. And sometimes it's more overt than others. When I see someone come to me and say, well, my spouse always handled that. I don't know anything. I don't even balance the checkbook. It sends up a series of red flags for me in this divorce case because I want to know why. And the question really is, is this something that you mutually agreed upon or is this something that happened because it was presented to you as I'm going to take care of you. Don't you worry about it. But then it became abuse. And people sometimes don't even realize that it is abusive until you tell them. Like this one woman that came to me and said, you know, my husband does this and my husband does that. And and he took $50,000 and um, took a van and had it retrofitted with everything you could possibly think of so he could go hunting with our son. And I looked at her and I said, did you agree to that? And she said, no, I didn't even know it was happening. But now he's telling me there's no money to pay the mortgage. And I looked at her and I said, that's abuse. That is financial abuse. When one spouse has the ability to take a huge lump sum of money, that's joint money, and does something with it without consulting their spouse, and then prevents them from being able to keep a roof over their head, that's financial abuse. And it's probably not the first time and it won't be the last. And I said to her, you need to stop making excuses for him because this is abusive behavior. And it was a wake up call. That's such an interesting point, right? That that people tend to make excuses. I had, it reminds me of a, 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 um, a client who came in and said that her husband was very budget conscious, conscious, right? They were very budgeted. And so she got, and these were her words, an allowance to spend each week. Um, and she was told, you know, what she was allowed to spend it on. But, you know, maybe that makes some sense. It made some sense to her. We're on a budget. We're trying to save. I get an allowance. My flags were going up. But then she said, and if I, you know, if I spend too much on something one week, I get less in my allowance the following week. Or if there's a behavioral I'll call it issue that the husband didn't like. Suddenly we have to rebudget, you know, in the next month and I would get less money. So to me, that's a hundred percent control and a hundred percent abuse. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's those words. Like I said, it's, it's emotional and there's, there's words that we use. There's a way of saying things and there's a way of not saying things. And yes, being budget conscious is not a bad thing. But when you say, well, you're getting an allowance, and if you overspend, I'm cutting your allowance to your spouse, that's a problem. 
that is a problem. That is an issue. There's obvious control. And I want to know why. So it's very interesting when I work with attorneys and I work with mediators and they will say something to me about the case that we're working on. And I'll say it back to them using these words and they go, oh, I never thought about it that way. I said, okay, well, that's why we're having this conversation because from a money standpoint, I'm thinking of it a different way. Or like if there's a family business and one spouse says, oh, well, you know, there's always a lot of cash around. I want to know why. You know, I, I do the puppy dog head and go, I, I, I want to know why. Like, where is it coming from? What is happening? Where is it going? Um, you know, it, it, there's so much more to these words that people use that you need to delve into. And that's one of the things as a CDFA that I can bring to the table during a divorce, whether it's mediated, it's a collaborative, or it's a litigation. I want to look behind, pull the curtain off of, you know, the man behind the curtain, the Oz figure. I want to know what's going on back there. I want to know. Yeah. It's not that there's always an ulterior motive. It's not that there's always something nefarious going on. But in order for me to be able to do my job, I want to know. And that's why we ask for documentation documentation and documentation. I want to see it. I want to see if there's some kind of pattern. I want to see if there's money moving in odd ways. I want to see if suddenly money is disappearing or what happened to this account all of a sudden? Um, how did it go from a joint account to now an individual account? How did that happen? You know, and it all depends where the money is and what different things you can do to it. You know, and you mentioned if the house was sold out from underneath you, right. you know. But did you know that one spouse, even if you are joint on the mortgage, even if you are joint on the deed, that one spouse without the knowledge or permission or signature of the other can take out a home equity line of credit on the marital residence? I knew it, Most but... <laughs> <laughs> I most bet some listeners people, didn't. Most people do not know that. And when I, you know, and then when you say the words, you know, HELOC and all these acronyms and things, they have no idea what you're talking about. But most people don't know that. And that can be a very dangerous thing for one spouse to do. And it's usually part of that control. And it's usually part of the methodology of that spouse to say, well, you know what? Six months from now, I'm going to file for divorce. So this is one of the things that I'm going to do in order to protect myself in this scenario, because it's highly likely that if they do something like that, the money is going somewhere else. Yeah. And they plan, right? There's a plan behind all of that. And, Correct. you know, thankfully, very often a skilled professional like you can find the paper trail. Listeners, as October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I wanted to make sure that you know that we have created the Divorce Coalition to promote awareness of both domestic violence and domestic violence recovery. We are here to inspire healing and change. We are the voice of many. The Divorce Coalition is made up of all your favorite podcasters, 
bloggers, influencers, and more. And we join together to raise awareness and provide information and resources to fight the epidemic of domestic abuse in our world. Founded by Beverly Price of Her Empowered Divorce, Kate Anthony of The Divorce Survival Guide, and me, Susan Guthrie, we have gathered together our friends and colleagues to amplify our voices to reach as many people as possible. So I encourage you to visit the Coalition webpage at www.divorcecoalition.com to find resources, including the many podcast episodes and blog articles that are on topic from all our members, as well as many other ways to help, donate, and find assistance. Together, we can make a difference and we can let domestic violence survivors know that they are not alone. So go to www.divorcecoalition.com and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Divorce Coalition page. Are you thinking about divorce, struggling in the middle of it, or unhappy with life after? Do you ever find yourself feeling angry, overwhelmed, confused, lonely, or sad? Well, that's completely normal, but there's good news. You are not alone. I've been there and help is available. I'm Beverly Price, host of the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast, and with my 30-plus years of divorce coaching experience, I help women navigate divorce and build more fulfilling lives after. Every week on my podcast, I feature industry-leading guests who share their experience and provide actionable tips. I offer valuable insights and empowering strategies that will help you regain your confidence and create the life you deserve just like I did in my divorce. So join me every Wednesday morning as we release a new episode of the Her Empowered Divorce podcast at herempowereddivorce.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And on Mondays, listen to Susan Guthrie on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Together, we bring you guidance and information from the legal to financial to emotional to parenting. It helps you gain even more knowledge than from just my podcast alone. Empower yourself by subscribing today to both the Her Empowered Divorce and the Divorce and Beyond podcasts. Stand tall. Remember, information is power, so never miss an episode. Stay tuned for more from divorce financial professional Donna LaScala, who shares more real-life stories of financial abuse and trickery to help you break free from that cycle. One of the problems that a lot of people have when they are the victim of financial abuse is there's a lack of, total lack of transparency and information. So they don't really know where everything is, what everything is. And if they really aren't financially savvy to begin with, they can wind up making very bad decisions that can hurt them tax-wise, retirement-wise, in so many different ways. If you're enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's show featuring Dr. Christine Cocciola, who shares with you the dark underpinnings of a coercive controller and importantly, how you can work to protect yourself and your children and to break the cycle of coercive control. 
That coercive controller's goal is to fracture the attachment your children have with you. He is chiseling away with that all of the time. And I need protected parents to work all of the time on reigniting that attachment. And now we return to today's show. I think something that you said just a moment ago is something I really want to point out for listeners is, you know, there may be reasonable explanations that some things are happening, but what you need to be aware of if you're listening is if anything here is ringing a bell, waving a flag, or just raising a niggling little question in your mind, you should be checking into it because yes, there might be a perfectly good explanation, Maybe there isn't. Maybe your spouse has couched something in terms that sound reasonable, but you just heard the story about this allowance idea. Maybe not. I mean, you told me a story, and we have to tell this one because it, it shows the extremes that someone can go to. But, you know, sometimes they abuse will be couched in terms of what's fair and equal, right? The 50-50 thing. You told me about a couple of cases where 50-50 went to such crazy extremes, it's hard to even imagine. Yeah. So part of this process, and one of the things, even as a financial advisor, that always drives me crazy is when someone comes to me and says, but someone, you know, my sister's boyfriend's plumber's financial advisor told him, like, okay, well, what does that even mean in your scenario? So it's what one of my colleagues called shadow people. And I love that term. So it's all these people that are kind of in the background whispering in your ear, right? The shadow people. So people come to the divorce table with these ideas because they've heard from the shadow people, well, this is what happened in, you know, Susan's divorce, and this is what happened in Donna's divorce, and, you know, blah, 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 all these things, right? So they think that this is the rule. They think that this is the law, and this is what's going to happen. So let me say it this way, especially in the state of New York, we are an equitable division state, okay? Equitable distribution, equitable, not equal, not 50-50, equitable. It's a whole different terminology. So people come to me and they say, well, I thought everything is split 50-50 and I go, where? And who told you that? Okay, because there is no 50-50 rule. It just doesn't exist, especially in the state of New York. So this man, and this was told to me by a friend of mine, this man took the 50-50 rule that he was convinced existed to the nth degree. And little by little, he was torturing his wife because she wouldn't allow him to move into their marital residence with his new friend, shall we say. And so he took the left shoe of every pair of her shoes, 50-50. He took two legs off of every table and two legs off of every chair in their house. Took half the light bulbs right out of their sockets. 50-50, I'm taking half of everything. And when I heard this story, every hair on my head stood on end. Because first of all, if anyone screwed with my shoes, I'd have a huge problem with that. Okay, so that's just number one. But I mean, seriously, what was he thinking? And it was with malice of forethought because he didn't take half of her pairs of shoes. He took the left shoe of every pair of her shoes, leaving her basically shoeless. Right. So that's malice of intent. Okay. People get crazy 
and they think of these things to do just to get a rise, to get a reaction, to manipulate, to control their spouse. Yeah, well, and this guy wound up in jail, by the way. So, well, I mean, that level of abusive behavior. And and notice, I would like to point out, he split her shoes, but did he leave her the right shoe of every pair of his shoes? Because that's the oh, other side. Of, of course not, right? So, but that's you know, you talk about that, and and it's it's crazy, right? That's that's on a level that most people are like, well, that's not in my life. Well, I guarantee you, that's not the first manipulative thing he did around their stuff, their money, their belongings. It was not the first time that he controlled with these types of behaviors, and they probably uh, were exacerbated during the divorce process. But that is the sort of thing, if you think that that is unheard of or wouldn't happen in your life, trust me, we have, we've both been doing this for over 30 years. We've seen a lot of crazy stuff. And we see people, you know, arguing and, and or I will say arguing for over money or monetary things ostensibly that it's really not about the money. So they're arguing over who should get what, or I must have the, it's, it's mine, or it's only fair that I get, or I'm entitled to that. And it's really not about the money or the, that, but they, but they are using it as a way to manipulate the other person or torture. You use that word. I think it's a good one. Actually, they're using it to torture the other person. Yeah. And to get them to capitulate. Right. And, you know, it's it's just like, you know, watch any any crime show on TV and they always talk about when there's a serial killer. Well, where did it start? How did they begin? Because it's the same thing with financial abuse. Where did it start? How did it begin? What was the the entry point of this behavior? What started this? And when you start uncovering more and more, the person on the other end of it is astounded because they just weren't paying attention. You know, it's the ostrich with their head in the sand. They just weren't paying attention. They didn't want to pay attention. They didn't want to know. It was unpleasant. It was upsetting. It was anxiety producing. And then they find themselves in this position and look at me, look at you and go, now what do I do? So it's, it's not it's not a situation that's impossible to resolve it's it is resolvable but both people have to be willing to entertain certain ideas and concepts about how this is going to move forward um you know but you mentioned fighting over stuff and fighting over ridiculous things and you know this is one of my favorite stories and it 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 actually came out of my own situation which I've embellished on over the years. When I was going through my own divorce, they brought us into a big room. It was everyone at that point that was going through a divorce. And the special referee told us the following, made the following statement, don't fight over Aunt Millie's teapot. So what is what is this person talking about? So here's, here's the story about Aunt Millie's teapot, because I use this as an example with my clients. And I tell them, look, I don't know what your Aunt Millie's teapot is, but I know it's out there. And trust me, you're going to get to this point and you're going to start fighting over something that neither one of you ever wanted in the first place. You know, 
Aunt Millie's teapot, the teapot she gave you on your first anniversary. And it's the most hideous thing you have ever seen in your life. And you don't like it and you don't really want it, but it's from your dear Aunt Millie. So you accept it graciously. And as soon as she leaves, you put it up in the corner on the shelf in the back. You never think of it again. You never look at it until Aunt Millie comes and you take it out and you serve her tea and you both agree that you hate it. Well, now suddenly, I must have Aunt Millie's teapot. How could I think of giving up this beautiful, stunning, sentimental thing that was given to us by Aunt Millie? I have to have it. Well, no, you can't have it because I have to have it. Because, you know, I lied. I really loved it always. But, you know, I was just agreeing with you that it was ugly. But I want it. I have to have it. I must have it. And you begin fighting over this thing that previous to this moment neither one of you cared about or ever wanted. And it sounds like a trivial thing, but it happens over and over again. And it's it stalls the entire process. And until, and this is why I love having mental health professionals in the mix and on the team, because until you can uncover and get underneath what is driving this need to hold on to stuff or, you know, he who winds up with the most toys wins. Until you can figure out what's driving that particular bus, you're going to wind up stalled in traffic because nothing is going to move the process forward because they're going to just keep perseverating over. But I need this. I want this. I must have this. And I don't want you to have it because if you don't have it, I win. Right. Right. And, you know, I will say having you know been through that negotiation process, I'll call it, several times in both mediations and represented cases that I was involved in. These are especially thorny where there have been imbalances or financial abuse in the past because what you can see during the divorce process is the person who's been the financial abuser, the one who's used money to control the other person, they see as a part of the divorce process, right? They're starting to lose control of that other person. They lose control of the finances because the law is now splitting up money. And you also see on the part of the victim, they start to now suddenly wake up to the fact for, for some of them the very first time and realizing they've been financially controlled for so long. So they become irrationally you know, attached to Aunt Millie's teapot because I think it starts to become their freedom or that what they're entitled to as, as a result of all these years of abuse. So suddenly that teapot becomes the control for the controller and the, the means of, of like announcing your freedom to the other person. And in those cases, that's where that teapot can become the most expensive teapot in history. Oh, absolutely. Like one of my colleagues told me the story of the $500 ice cream cone. Yes. The more you fight over something, especially when you're dealing with it within the process and you're either paying a mediator or paying a lawyer or paying a financial person or whoever it is that you're paying and you call that person, that professional and say, you know, I'm giving my wife money. Every, every month, like you said, you know, for, for child support and spousal maintenance. And now she's asking me for additional money so the kids can get ice cream from the ice cream man. 
I'm not giving it to her. Okay, so here's the way the story goes. So the attorney turns to his client and says, okay, so let me understand this. You're calling me. I charge $500 an hour. And we're going to have this conversation, 15 minutes. Okay, so that's a portion of the 500. But then I'm going to have to call your wife's attorney. And then your wife's attorney is going to call your wife. And then they're going to call me back and I'm going to have to call you back. And by the time we're done, you can give your wife $20 so the kids can get ice cream for the week or you're going to pay me $500. How much is this ice cream cone worth to you? And the husband said, I get it and hung up. But most people don't get it. They just want to keep fighting because as you said, this thing becomes the be all and end all and you can't see beyond the anger the fear the anxiety that's in front of you because let's face it i mean you and i do this every day because it's what we do for a living but someone going through a divorce is beyond anxious upset hurt you know all of those things and it's probably the most extreme thing they've ever done in their lives. Sure. Because they know that once that document is signed, life as they knew it, good, bad, or indifferent, but life as they knew it is over. And something new is coming. And that's also one of the things that I really try to stress to my clients when I'm working with them through a divorce. Let's come up with scenarios of what it's going to look like after this is over because the first question i usually get asked is how am i going to live after this is over what is my life going to look like how am i going to do this where am i going to be who is going to be with me how am i going to keep a roof over my head how am i going to retire and it's very scary for people who are in that over 50 age group yes because we know it's happening more and more because they are closer to retirement and they know they don't have as much time to refill the retirement reserves as they would if they were in their 30s. So there's a lot of things that come up and I really try to help them and say, okay, well, tell me what your best case scenario looks like. Tell me what your worst case scenario looks like. Let's try to figure this out. We'll come to somewhere in between because you know whatever happens, it's not going to be perfect, but it's also not going to be forever. What you decide today could be for the next one to three years. Then something else is going to happen and we'll try to figure out what that's going to look like or if you're going to relocate or if the kids are going into college, coming out of college, all of those things. What is your world going to look like? And trust me, you're going to change and it's going to be different as you move along. Giving them some idea of what they're moving towards because it's a very scary thing when you're leaving something even if it is the pot of boiling water well am i going from the proverbial frying pan into the fire now like right. what's in front of me what am i looking at and that's the scariest part i think for most people going through a divorce especially as a part of your divorce process you start to realize and i think so many people are going to understand this who are hearing this very often as people are going through the divorce process, it is the first time it dawns on them 
that they have in some way suffered from abuse, whether it's financial or, or other emotional kinds of abuse. And so very often they're in a place where uh, for good reason, that brings up so much anger and, you know, fear and all, and just so many different feelings. But in order to move forward and get to that post-divorce life and, and not get caught up in the fighting over things that don't matter, wasting money, wasting time. I think that if you are someone who is sitting there and realizing that you are someone who suffered with from financial abuse, this is your sign right here that to move forward, you need a financial professional by your side. The way to get your power back is not to figure it out on your own because you can't. It is to get someone to help you. Absolutely. Because one of the problems that a lot of people have when they are the victim of financial abuse is there's a lack of total lack of transparency and information. So they don't really know where everything is, what everything is. And if they really aren't financially savvy to begin with, they can wind up making very bad decisions that can hurt them tax-wise, retirement-wise, you know, in, in so many different ways because they are, they're in this situation and it's kind of like tunnel vision and, you know, they always say, you know, well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But when you're in that tunnel, you can barely see the tunnel, never mind the fact that there's a light at the end of it. Right. So having someone to guide you through, to hold your hand, to say, okay, let's start with the basics. Let's start with a budget. Let's do this hard work and put together a budget. It's the basis of everything. Let's figure this out. If A happens, then B occurs. If C happens, then D occurs. So let's lay that out. Then let's talk about where the assets are, what you have. And I never, really never want to use the word entitled to because it's a very dangerous word. What is in the marital estate and how does this division work and what could you wind up with in your column at the end? Right. What do you have then to work with you, when you move forward? Right. Exactly. And then how are you going to make that work for you? What does that look like? But I also try and, you know, a lot of times, as I'm sure you know, people come to you at various points in time of their divorce. Sometimes they come at the very beginning. Sometimes they come even before it actually happens because they have an inkling and they sort of know this is going south and I better start getting my ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. And it's at that point that I say to them, okay, let's start putting things down in writing and look at what's what mail is coming through the door. And that also has become an issue for a lot of people because if it's all being sent electronically, and one person has control over those websites and those passwords and those usernames, it's very hard to find that out, to uncover that. But you have to start somewhere. And the easiest way to figure it out is to try to get a credit report on your spouse. Because that's going to show you everything. Right. 
it's going to show you everything. So there are ways to do it. But a lot of women in that position are afraid of the ramifications and the consequences. So, you know, that's that's also part of the thing when there is abuse, because like I said, at the very beginning of this conversation, it's usually not the only kind. Right. Financial abuse is usually not the only kind. There's something else going on, whether it's emotional, verbal, physical. There's always something else going on. It's not just in a standalone vacuum. So again, getting back to having a mental health professional on board and working with someone like that to me is so important because they help and they can be the other part of the support. You know, there's, there's power in numbers. Mm-hmm. And when you have a good team that you can work with, with your client, I think it's so much better for them, but also for us because we can't possibly know everything. We all have expertise in certain areas as well. Right. So there's, you know, there's lots of times when I call in another professional and say, hey, you know, I, I have the craziest situation here. What do you think about this? Have you ever seen this before? And would you mind consulting with my client? You know, it's, it's, a, it's another tool. It's another tool. Right. Well, and and I love your analogy of the dark tunnel. Yes, there may be a light at the end, but if you don't have a light in the middle of that dark tunnel, so imagine your financial professional and your mental health professional as two people holding onto your arms and they've got flashlights to like help you. You know, Donna just exactly. described what, you know, different ways that a financial professional can help you. And, and I hope you heard what she said because it's about taking the control back, right? That control financially that's been taken away from you. Sh- she knows the ways that you can start to take that back. That's what your financial professional can do for you. So I know one of the things that you so kindly have offered to listeners is the opportunity to consult with you for a free half hour consultation, Donna, which, you know, as I mentioned, Donna can work with people across the country, not just in New York, although she's located there. What is the best way for people to find out more about you, about your services and to reach out to you? So my email address is compdivorce, C-O-M-P, divorce at gmail.com. That's a very easy way of reaching out to me. If you'd rather call 516 Two three four seven five two two. My website is comprehensivedivorcesolutions.com. I love that. And honestly, everyone, you know, do reach out. This, this is an opportunity to talk to someone about maybe those little waving red flags you're hearing or seeing as a result of listening to this episode or, you know, just something that your gut is, has been telling you. Um, very often I have found, and I bet you have too, Donna, is that people have had an idea for years, but it's just been too much to face and deal with. And and sometimes the the best way to step forward is to reach out your hand to get that help. Absolutely, because it doesn't just occur to you one morning, you wake up and say, oh, I guess today's the day I'm starting the divorce process. It's been in the back of your mind for a while. It's been in the back of your spouse's mind for a while. And if there's been abuse, I can safely say that that's probably been one of the threats that comes with, if you dare to go into that bank account, spend money on that thing, you know, do any of those activities, I will divorce you. Right. 
that's been a power play as well. Yep. So it's it's not just all of a sudden on a Tuesday, this is what's going to happen. No, there's, there's there for a while. It's, it's a, all part of that slippery slope of abuse and which is much, much more common than, you know, the, the physical abuse, the black eye, although just as horrible and, and, and just as, as actionable, but there's, there's so many subtle signs of abuse. And, and it's really important what you said, Donna, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. If you are being controlled with finances in your relationship, there are probably other signs of abuse and other types of abuse happening. Please reach out for help. I have contact information for a variety of different domestic violence, intimate partner violence and domestic abuse resources, as well as go to the divorcecoalition.com, which is a coalition, as you all know, of divorce and podcasting professionals that we've joined together to raise awareness and bring resources to you. Just know you are not alone. These episodes, these professionals, we are all here to help you reach out for that help. And Donna, thank you so much for joining me today to, to shine this light on this, this really insidious and intractable um, and very pervasive form of abuse. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.